0: Hey everybody, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. We have been teasing some bonus sermons on this podcast, and today we have one of those for you. This sermon is actually the very first sermon that I preached at a Sunday service at Creekside, or maybe as I think about it, anywhere. I, at the time, was a 15-hour-a-week youth pastor, at least that's what I was paid for, and it was Youth Sunday, you know, like the Sunday where the youth group leads the music and takes over the responsibilities, and I was tasked with preaching this sermon. It's really funny because I say near the beginning that it might be the last sermon that I get to preach to this church, and that's funny because this sermon was preached almost 16 years ago, and I've been preaching at Creekside ever since. Hundreds of sermons I've preached to the congregation of Creekside Bible Church. You'll notice a few things in this sermon. First, it's right around Halloween, which is why I know that it was just about 16 years ago to the day. But even more, you'll notice that it's really bad audio. I'm sorry for that. We tried to clean it up a little bit, but it was taken from a video and Sadly, the video is the only recording that we have of the service. I think it came right off of the camera, the audio. You'll also notice that I sound really angry and it's a little bit embarrassing to listen to yourself preach or it would probably be embarrassing to listen to yourself talk 16 years later, but I'm just really interested in how how my passion comes across as angry. I don't think I was particularly angry. I think I was just nervous, but somehow that translated into me sounding like I was mad at somebody. I think that's changed through the years. There's a couple of other things that I think are interesting about this sermon and, frankly, for me, kind of fun. The first is that people have physical Bibles. I'm used to now people either... Just reading the Bible on the screen in front of them, or going to the Bible on their mobile device. And there's this moment in this sermon where I ask people to turn their Bibles to the passage, which is First 1 Peter 1:13 1. by the way. And it like takes a long time as people flip through the pages. The other thing that's kind of fun for me, and at the same time a bit cringy, you may not care about at all. It is really fascinating to, listen to myself talk 16 years ago and realize what a different stage of life I was in. Not many people have recordings of themselves from 16 years ago, but I do and it's really interesting to listen to. Slightly embarrassing, but also really cool just to see you know, how different of a place I'm in today than I was back then. The last thing I'll say before the sermon plays is that I still think this is a really important sermon on a really important passage of Scripture. The sermon is called The Mind in the Middle, and it's the first sermon that I used the phrase ridiculously amazing grace in, which is a phrase I still use to this day. As you'll hear in a few minutes, it's about how we should think based on what we have and how we are trying to live. And as always, I really do hope that this sermon, even 16 years later, will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God.
1: I do not know what your purpose in coming here today was. It could have been a bunch of different things. It could have been that you came here to to see your family members speak. Uh, it could have been that you show up every Sunday morning and you feel like it's the right thing to do. It could have been that you came to worship God or or that you just felt like you needed to go to church this morning because you wanted to feel good about yourself. You know, I don't know what the reason was that you came today, but I hope that that reason will change right in this instance. I tell the kids all the time on Thursday nights that I do not stand up in front of them to speak just because I want to stand up in front of them to speak. I stand up in front of them and I stand up in front of you today because I want you to be changed. And man, if your heart is not in the place right in this instant or you're expecting to walk away from this place changed, then you need to change it right now. The passage that I'm going to speak on today, you know, I don't know how often I get to talk to you. This could be the last time I ever speak in front of this congregation. And so you have to know that the passage I picked to speak on today is one that I think is beneficial to your life and has been very beneficial in my life. One shot, and I picked this verse to preach on. And I'm telling you, you need to expect to be changed. Just expect it. I think the kids come to Thursday nights and they expect to get that camp high now. And that's beautiful, and you should expect it too. You should walk away from here changed. And so if you open your Bibles up with me in First Peter 1.13, as soon as you get there, I feel like some of you are there, I will pray, and I'm going to pray that you and I will be changed as we walk away from this place. 1 Peter 1.13, near the back of the Bible, not quite there. If you see the end, I don't know, it's not in the Bible, that's Cinderella. i coming too far. Keep flipping and I'll pray. Dear God, I, I pray, Lord, that you will move here today, God. Despite my nerves, despite the distractions in our lives, Lord, despite whatever's going on, God, I pray that you will work because you are bigger And you are better than anything that can hold us down from being changed today, God. And I pray, I pray that you will not let us walk away from here, the same person that we entered this building today, God. Help us to expect it, God. God, you tell us when we pray things, and it's in your name, God, that it will be given to us, Lord. And I pray now that we will be changed, God, and I pray that we will expect that change. Have an amazing passage, Lord, an amazing verse, Lord, and I pray that it will sink in not only to our minds but to our hearts, Lord, and we will walk away from here better for you. In your son's name, amen. 1 Peter 1.13, It says, Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'll read it again. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely. On the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And right there at the beginning of this verse, you're going to see a word, and that word is therefore. And I know the high school kids can tell me this, but, but you have to ask yourself when you see the word therefore, does anybody know what the question is? What is it therefore? So many times, the passages have been preached in the Bible. Wrongly because people fail to put them into context. And so when you come to this connected word, the big word for it, the connected word, therefore, you must ask, what is it there for? And so we look back at my favorite section in the whole Bible, the beginning of First Peter. First Peter one and two, he's gonna talk about who he's addressing it to. And he tells the people that they are he calls them aliens aliens and when he's talking about aliens there he's talking about people that are passing through this world because their true citizenship is in heaven and he goes on from there to tell them that they now have a living hope if they are in Christ Jesus chosen by God they've been born again to a living hope and then he goes on to tell them that they will have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away that is reserved in heaven for those who are protected by the power of God, How is that? Don't just hear it, let it sink in. Because when we get to this therefore, it's very important that we see what Peter wants us to see when we come to it. And he goes on from there and he tells us that we can have joy in times of trials. Because why? Because they are necessary and they are for a short time. If we've accepted Christ as our Savior. And then he tells us that we will obtain the outcome of our faith salvation. And then he goes on to tell us that we see we see what the prophets long to see, and that is Jesus Christ, and we can see it every day. he says all these amazing things about our future, and then he says, therefore. And what's really cool about the book of 1 Peter is that it has this flow that that I don't know if there's any other book in the Bible, maybe I don't know them well enough, but, but it's an amazing flow. And he goes from, he goes from what we're going to have someday what we have to look forward to then he throws in 1 Peter 1:13 and then he's going to go on to talk about how we should live because of what we have in Christ Jesus and so your sermon title the mind in the middle because when we come to 1 Peter 1:13 it's a separate it's in the middle of what we have to look forward to and what we should live like and it's all about how we think the mind in the middle So it says, therefore, gird up your loins for action. Gird your minds for action, as it's written in my Bible. Probably different in all of yours. And the fact that it's different in all of yours is the very reason that I stumbled across this verse. And it's become one of my favorite verses. And I tell you, it happens to be the two words that are written right there on my bracelet that I wear many days of the week. Gird up. And uh, the college pastor, Western Baptist, was was preaching on this verse. that says, "Prepare your minds." And my Bible said, "Gird up." And I'm not familiar with the word "gird up." I don't use it in everyday language. Well, now I do, but it's just because I'm a weird you pastor guy. But uh, I was like, "What is this gird up stuff? Why does mind say gird up and it says prepare in the NIV?" And so I started to do research, and I found that this word "gird" it is awesome. I love it. It's on a bracelet. It's amazing that people would translate this verse, prepare your mind, because it fails to do justice to what Peter is talking about here in this verse. He says, Gird your loins for action. And the word gird is a word that is uh, used a lot in the Bible, but, but uh, it really has the illusion they wore loose flowing robes that when they wish to run or to fight or to apply themselves to any business, they're obliged to bind their garments close around them. Did you hear all that? Long flowing robes. So I'm going to bring Brandon Gray up here to demonstrate this. Long flowing robes. This is our long flowing robes. It's a good color for Brandon Gray. I have lots of feedback. Okay. So here it is. If you want to see a better example of it, look at Bryce's... Uh, uh, costume for Halloween, it's great. So, the Roman soldiers here, hold that up. They didn't have to hold it on. But the Roman soldiers would wear something that would go down like this. Okay? You see this ankle thing? Now, if Brandon here, my Roman soldier, was going to run a race or fight a battle, it'd be difficult. Show him how you have to move your legs. Fake it if you really know. There you go. So what the people would do at the time of Peter's writing is they would tie this up with a belt-like thing and they would strap on their hair and things like this. So now they're free to move around, to fight battles, to run races. Are you seeing how cool that is? When he says prepare your minds for action, he is not doing justice to what Peter is telling us. This man is getting ready to go fight a battle now. I think. And so we see it there. Gird the loins of your mind for action. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, it's this idea of of tying this thing up. So what is he saying to me spiritually? He's not talking about me wearing long robes and having to tie him up. I did put on a belt today, but it's not because of this verse. What is he saying to me metaphorically for my spiritual life? And to better understand this, you have to think in terms that the Bible uses. And when we think about our spiritual lives, we have to think that it's like a fight. Look at the language that Paul uses in some of his some of his verses when he's talking to Timothy. He says, "Fight the good fight, or war the good warfare." In First Timothy one eighteen, in Ephesians six twelve through eighteen, he talks about the armor of God and putting it on. In First Timothy six twelve, he says, "Fight the good fight." In Second Timothy two three through five, he says, "As a good soldier of Jesus Christ." And in Second Timothy four seven, he says, "I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race." And the problem is, the problem is with you and I, and with most of this world, that we take Christianity like a Sunday stroll instead of a fight that it is. We act, we act so often like we should just become Christians and everything gets easier, but we're so wrong, because in fact, when you become a Christian, things get harder. When you become a Christian, you go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And now you have a bigger enemy in Satan that would love to tear you down, and yet we take it like a Sunday stroll in the park? And I don't get, I do not get, why I think I have the right to treat it like a walk in the park when it is a fight. Where, from the time when Peter and Paul were fighting every day for the Lord until the time that we lived, did we lose the concept of a good fight and start to take it like a walk in the park? I do not know. And what Peter is saying here is that we need to gird up our minds. Me and my cousin, not here today, different cousins, got some cousins scattered around. His brothers are actually here. but. Uh, we used to say to each other, and it came from the movie Swap. Mount up, and basically, if you've seen the movie Swap, they're transporting this prisoner from one place to another. Uh, he's offered lots of money to break him out, and so it's this hostile situation where they can't have the guy get killed, but but it, it's sticky, it's real sticky. And as they're about to go do this thing, they say to each other, "Mount up." They say, "Mount up." You see, they're getting their focus. <clears throat> where their focus needs to be, and that is ready to go, ready to fight the battle that is before them. I played sports all growing up, and I tell you, if you don't show up to play, if you don't come and you don't mount up, if you don't gird up, then you're going to lose. And yeah, Peter just told us how it's all going to work out if we're Christians. Things are going to be great. But I tell you from personal experience and from watching people around me, when we fail to strap it up, when we fail to gird up, it is going to leave us with scars. Just because we win the war does not mean that we win every battle in our lives. Do you hear that? Just because we win the war does not mean that we win every battle in our lives. And I'm here to tell you today, Peter is here to tell you today, that we need to gird up. We need to prepare every single day in order to fight the good fight of faith that Peter and Paul talk about. Do not let this go in one ear and out the other. Do not leave here without the concept, and not just the idea that it's cool, that gird up is cool, but the idea that you need to personally gird up the loins of your mind for action. It's just a travesty that we think it like a walk in the park. travesty. So the first thing that I have to say to you today, as we're talking about the mind in the middle, is that you need to gird up that mind. You need to gird it up. You need to be prepared every day to fight the good fight of faith that God has allowed you to fight by becoming his child. And you know, I used to only know the words gird up in this passage, and I spent a long time really liking those two words. And not really paying attention to much of the the rest of this passage here, this this one verse, I guess, if you will. And I found that it's cool, because he's going to go on and he's going to say two more things. And the next one is, be sober. And he says it, not only here in 1 Peter, but he says it two more times. In verse 4-7 and verse 5-8, he's going to tell his readers to be sober. And you'll find, if you study the scriptures that when God puts something in there more than once, it's probably a good idea to pay attention to it. And he says it three times in this short little book, Be Sober. And I tell you, I, I, I can't really think about the word be sober without thinking about the words of drunkenness, uh, just thinking about being drunk, because being sober is the opposite of being drunk. And as I've thought about this passage, uh, I, it's just kind of crossed my mind that we could probably just turn around and instead of saying be sober in a positive light, we could say don't be drunk. So I thought about it more and more and, and uh, you know, I think the best way to illustrate it is a song by Brad Paisley. Um, maybe some of you know it, maybe some of you don't, but the song is called Alcohol. Um, I've never heard it, of course, because I'm a young pastor. But uh, the song is called Alcohol, and basically in this song, I don't know if he's saying good things about alcohol are bad, but the point of it is, alcohol makes you do stupid things. Alcohol, in the song, it talks about putting a lampshade on your head and the embarrassing speech in your best friend's wedding, things like that. Alcohol makes you do stupid things when you're drunk. So the more I thought about this, and the more I thought about this verse could have been said, do not be drunk, I've come to the conclusion that alcohol really does a few things. It, it causes us to be irrational, it causes us to be emotional, and it causes our thinking to be all messed up. And so when I look at this passage, I, I think that, that somewhere in there, Peter is telling us, don't be irrational, don't be overly emotional, and don't have your thinking all messed up. If you've been around drunk people, you know that they're like this. They're all over the place. They don't know what they're thinking. They do stupid things. And sometimes in Christianity, we act exactly the same way. We act like a drunk person. I was watching the Cowboys game at Dylan's house a couple weeks ago um, and the Cowboys are up 14. Big Cowboys fan. They play at noon today, I think, but they're up 14. The other team has done nothing, haven't with the ball. Two touchdown passes in the last two minutes of the stupid game. And I'm like this. I'm flopping around on Dylan's couch, ah, what is happening, fire the coach, ah. I look like a drunk person because I didn't know if the Cowboys were going to win. In fact, they ended up losing. But in this passage, Peter tells us to be sober. And here's the good news. Here's this. Here's the good news. News. We know that we're going to win the war. Think about how irrational, emotional, and stupid thinking it would be for me to go like this during the course of a football game if I knew the Cowboys were going to win 56-8. to it would be absolutely ridiculous. But Peter here, in the book of 1 Peter, has told us how this thing's going to end, and yet we go like this when all of life's little things kind of run into our way. And man, there's great hope in this. We've heard the prayer request today. We all have prayer requests. We all have things that go wrong in our lives. And Peter is telling us to be sober. You don't need to be like this because you know what happens in the end if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've been born again to a living hope, if you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, if you obtain the outcome of your faith salvation, and if you've seen the party that is Jesus Christ, you can be sober because you know the ending. Be sober. Why do we insist on acting like drunk people? And I know that I do it, and I'm guessing that you guys do it. But Peter here is telling us to be sober. And you see it in their lives. You don't see them like this, despite what things happen what things happen to these men in the Bible. They stay on even keel. Because they know that someday they will have the things that have been promised to them. Girt up and be sober. Those are the first two things. And those two things are subpoints <laughs> in this verse, actually, to the last thing that Peter tells his people about their thinking. Um, it's like the verse could be said something long lines. I wrote this down. No, I didn't, maybe. Oh, right, yeah, here it is. Fixing your hope on the grace to be brought to you, gird up and be sober. Did you see how I word that? Fixing your hope on the grace to be brought to you, gird up and be sober. The first two things that he says are actually sub points. And now we come to the main thrusts of the verse in the Greek instruction. And this is awesome. Oh, man. This has actually become my favorite part of the verse, and I tell you, just hear these words, huh? just let it sink in, don't, don't leave here, not change. She says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we have to see here is the word, fix your hope, fix our hope, I, I, <laughs> to sound way smarter than I am. It's in the aorist active imperative in the Greek New Testament, which I have no idea what that means, but somebody in a commentary that I picked up knows what it means. Uh, and so, therefore, I'm here to tell you what they told me, and that is that it's military-like language. When I hear active imperative, uh, it seems like military type things, and, and it's really a command to fix your hope. Not asking, not saying it's a good idea, he is telling you as Christian people, as aliens on this planet, fix your hope on grace. And the other thing that we have to understand before before we look at what I want to say about this is we have to understand what hope is. And the word for hope here is not the type of hope that most of the world thinks of. Um, It is, in simple terms, the Christian's attitude towards the future. But when we think about hope in this world, and, and the way that I think of hope oftentimes, and the way that you probably think of it, you kind of think like wishful thinking about the future. Like, I hope this shop will go in. I hope that I get that girlfriend. I hope that things go right. But this is not at all what Peter is saying in this verse. It is not at all what he is saying. Because the Greek word there, way cooler than the word hope that we think of. It is actually expectation of good, or this is the one I love, confident expectancy. Confident expectancy. Let me read the verse again with that translation there. Fix your confident expectancy, hear this word, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Fix your confident expectancy completely Did he say, some of it, put the rest of it in money? Did he say, some of it, put the rest of it in your family? Did he say, some of it, and then put your hope somewhere else? No, he said, fix your confident expectancy completely on the grace to be brought to you. And I tell you, I've learned a lot in the last year of my life. Because there are a lot of things that a year ago, I was placing my hope in, and all of those things are kind of gone. I had baseball, I had school, I had a girl that I was in love with. I had a cousin who didn't have a girlfriend that could actually hang out with me. Tons of things (laughs) fell up and down. My family knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Tons of things that I honestly placed my hope in have crumbled. And the things that you place your hope in will crumble if they are not the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope completely on this. And you cannot, you cannot. When you think about God's grace, I don't want to say this. this something I'm very passionate about, watch it out. We're not fixing our hope in pink elephants. <laughs> you can fix your hope on things completely, but that doesn't mean that the thing you are fixing your hope upon is going to help you out. And this is not saying to fix your hope on something, it is telling you to fix your hope. On the grace that is to be brought to us. And man, I coined the term, somebody write it down somewhere, ridiculously amazing grace. Because we, when we think about grace, we do not do it justice. We do not do God's grace justice. I've been reading What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey, and it's not my favorite Philip Yancey book, but. He has caused me to think a lot about how grace is a ridiculous term to this society. Grace is not something that we offer people. Grace is not something that we even like. We don't want to see people pardon. They're sinners. Send them to hell. They killed somebody. Give them the death penalty. Grace is not something that we really think is something that people deserve. But God has given it to us. And God's grace is not just amazing. The song fails to do it justice because it is ridiculously amazing. By every standard that this world gives us, God's grace is stupid. God's grace is stupid by every standard that this world has given us. But yet, He gave it to us anyway. God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm telling you, we were enemies of God who sinned against him daily and he sent his one and only true son to die on the cross for you and I so that we can be his children and someday we can have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away and yet we sit down and we don't think about how amazing it is that God gave us this grace. It is ridiculously amazing and for you and I to worship sometimes the way we do in light of that grace is stupid. We fix our hope on money. We fix our hope on baseball. We fix our hope on our friends and family. When God has given us this grace that we can fix our hope completely on our confident expectancy. And we know that God will not let us down. And man, I stand before you today and I'm telling you, do not leave here with the same attitude about grace that you came into this room with. Do not let it happen because God's grace is not just amazing. It is ridiculously amazing because it fails to be any kind of standard that this world would give you. And the fact that it doesn't knock us to our knees and cause us to sing out to God, amazing grace, how sweet to sound more often, is you and I's fault. And Peter is telling us to fix our hope completely on that grace. And as we do that, if we're really fixing our hope on that grace and knowing that our eternity, that our family's eternity, that me not going to hell, that me being a child of God who can even pray to him, that me having inheritance someday, that me being born to a living hope, the grace that is giving us all those things, when we fix our hope on that, how dare we not worship? How dare I not worship? The mind in the middle. Here's what you have. It's going to be amazing. Look at it. Look at it. Think about it. Here's what you need to do over here at the end of Peter. For right there in the middle is how you think about your spiritual life. About how you think about life in general. About how you think about eternity. It's right there in the middle of what you have to look forward to and how you should live. Gird up. Be sober and fix your hope completely, completely on the grace that will be brought to you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for letting us come here today, God, and I pray, God. I pray that I will I will not leave here, Lord, not worshiping you for the grace of your I pray that I will not leave here acting like a drunk person when it comes to things of spiritual matters, God. I pray that I will not leave here girded up, ready to fight the good fight of faith, God. And I pray for every one of these individuals who are here to look at your word today, God. I thank you for the passage of 1 Peter, God. And not only do I thank you for the passage in 1 Peter, God, but I thank you for the grace, God, that I can fix my confident expectancy on, Lord. And I pray God, that we would not leave here unchanged, Lord, but we would leave here God, knowing that the mind in the middle, God, matters. And I pray that we would gear it up, Lord. We would be sober and we would fix our hope completely on your grace. In your son's name, amen.